All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter 1. Just thinking about that song, and praise the Lord, we have an anchor that's firmly fastened to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, the thing about an anchor is it keeps you during calm weather, and it keeps you during stormy weather as well. And uh, though you might not realize it, even in calm weather, uh, sometimes you will start to drift away, and you won't realize it. Uh, until perhaps it's too late and you can lose your bearings and lose where you are. Uh, so it's important to be anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ who will not, while well, the Bible says uh, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not change. And uh, we, we, strive, or we struggle to understand that uh, because we are a constant rolling change, if I could say it that way, and, uh, and thank the Lord that he's stable uh, and that we can always be anchored to him. Romans chapter number one, uh, we're going we're gonna to start through the book of Romans, and on Sunday nights we've been through uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, some of the uh, Pauline epistles, 1 Thessalonians, and uh, the difference in looking at the book of Romans is uh, Paul is, is writing to uh, not just one church. In, in many of the other books we've looked at, he's been writing to uh, the church that was in Corinth or, or things of that nature. So this book's going to be a little bit different in the way we look at it uh, just because of, of who it's written to, to. But the more I study the Pauline epistles and the letters that Paul wrote, the more I appreciate and see why God used the Apostle Paul so greatly. Uh, there are many men who have been used mightily of God, but few fall into the category that Paul falls into. And the more I learn about him, the more I just appreciate the life of Paul. So as we look at this evening, just by way of, uh, we'll just get through the introduction of the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 1, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to uh, the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for the many blessings that we have in our life. And Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. God, I pray that you'd use me and, and speak through me. And God, as we look into your word, may we find the, the relevance and how it applies, God, to our life in 2021. Though it was written so many, many, many years ago, uh, almost 2,000 years ago. And God, may we find the relevance and the importance even today in your word. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, uh, I want us to notice the first part is, is uh, as Paul starts out, 
he says, well, let's jump actually to verse number 7. He, he starts out with an introduction, but then in verse 7, he gives us the audience. And I want us to look at that. Verse number 7 says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's very different from many of the other letters. The Pauline epistles, uh, he was writing before the church that was at Corinth and the believers that were there. And now he's writing to all the, uh, that be in Rome. Now, understand this, he's not, it's not a letter to the general city population of Rome. He is still writing believers. He is still writing Christians. And we'll see that throughout the context of his letter. But he addresses it differently, differently in that he writes to all that be in Rome, all the Christians and all the believers. And as I was looking at that and thinking about it, I don't know because... I wasn't there, and I don't know the, uh, the population of Rome, but I, I, I want to think and imagine this. I did find one other person who thought this as well, is that uh, Rome was probably more of an urban place. It was more of a city. It's very probable that there were multiple churches throughout Rome, and maybe because of the diversity of people, maybe because there were uh, such a diversity in who they were and and maybe there was a, a church of Jews, and Jews would be very uh, different, and maybe they had their own congregation, and maybe there was a, a church of Gentiles that was there as well, and maybe they were separate, maybe not because they uh, had separate ideas or anything, maybe it was a natural division of which they found themselves congregating together around the Word of God. We don't know exactly. There's not a lot of ideas, but we do know this, that, that Paul was writing to all that be in Rome, not just one church. And one of the themes that you'll see throughout the book of Romans as we look at it and as we study it is Paul often says this, uh, he says this idea that there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, which would lead us to believe there probably uh, was, at least in their mind, they had divisions. Uh, maybe there was some differences between the Jews and the Gentiles. But Paul constantly brings them back to the fact that, listen, they're really uh, under, under Christendom, under Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross of Calvary, we're all on the same ground. Uh, prior to the cross of Calvary, the Jews had been God's chosen nation. They were God's chosen nation. There's no doubt about that. Uh, matter of fact, I think a lot of so many of the Old Testament uh, promises would still apply uh, to the Jewish nation today. I think that, listen, as God promised in the Old Testament, those who bless the nation of Israel will be blessed, and those who curse the nation of Israel will be cursed. That's why I believe, hey, our country ought to stand with Israel. Uh, I believe that. Why? Because that's God's chosen people. Uh, and Paul will deal with that a lot. Uh, matter of fact, he, he talks about later on in, in the book of Romans how uh, being a Jew, listen, they were, they were given the Old Testament and they guarded it and brought it all the way to us and gave us. Did you know that uh, half your Bible that you have in your lap tonight is given to us because the Jews were faithful keepers of that? Uh, that Old Testament, the Old Testament law and all that's written therein, they were guardians of that and they kept that for us. And so Paul is one of the things that he's going to uh, really clarify throughout the book of Romans is that there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile as far as salvation goes. 
And so we, we'll see that and we'll understand that. And as we think about his audience, he's probably writing both Jew and Gentile, maybe churches that are mixed with both audiences in them. And, uh, and so we can see that from the audience of who Paul is writing. But then I want you to notice as well, uh, in that audience, the theme is far different. Uh, when, when Paul wrote the church that was in, in Corinth, there were specific problems that Paul was addressing in that church. You remember many times as we went throughout the book of Corinth, uh, Corinthians rather, that uh, there, were, there were divisions. Those people had difficulties in, in many areas. They, they had problems with the Lord's Supper. That's why Paul went through and taught about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And they had problems with division in the church and they had problems with uh, fornication and things of that nature. And Paul dealt with those issues very specifically to address the problems that took place in that church. In the book of Romans, we don't see that. There's not the specific issues that are dealt with. The book of Romans is a very doctrinal book. Uh, why is that? Because Paul is writing uh, to all that be in Rome. He's not writing one specific church, and he's nailing down the doctrines that are so vitally important in Christianity. And so as we look through the book of Romans, uh, understand and realize that uh, the audience is far more diverse than it was in Corinth or in Galatia where the church was very divided about the Jewish works and the, and, uh, the Gentiles not wanting to do the, the Jew, fall under the Jewish law and, and things of that nature. These are less specific and they're more doctrinal issues that Paul deals with throughout the book of Romans. So we can see in verse number 7, uh, and I wanted to get that out of the way because that, that feels so much more like an introduction, but it's in verse 7 that he gives that to us, uh, the audience. And, uh, and so as we think about this, remember who Paul is writing to throughout the entire book of Romans. That when I, I remember learning to preach, and they always said this, they said, consider your audience who you're speaking to. Uh, and that's important. Uh, you don't speak to a bunch of junior campers like you preach to a, a church full of crowd from, from 12 years old all the way to, uh, we'll, we'll say, cap, we'll cap it at 100. I'm not going to get myself in trouble there. I don't know, and I don't want to know. But, but you, you really, it's different. You would preach to a, a group of men differently than you would address a, a group of ladies. You would address a group of teenagers different than you would address. So the audience is important, and it is something that we need to consider and understand as we read through the book, and it will just help us get a, a grasp on what Paul is teaching and what he is getting across uh, as, as he presents the book of Romans. Not only do we have the audience in verse number 7, but I want you to notice the author in verse number 1. And I love the Apostle Paul. There is, he's, a, he's a phenomenal character. And look at what he says there in verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Well, we could spend all night right there on just his introduction. I want you to notice there, he says, as he has said in many places, called to be an apostle. And when I, when I saw that, uh, I, I wrote down surrender. Surrendered. I, I know we've talked about called to be an apostle and, and that Paul started most of his epistles that way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But here he specifically says he is called to be an apostle. 
Turn with me, save your spot here on Romans chapter 1 as we'll be back here. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. What is that calling? Uh, sometimes, you know, preachers, we had missionaries in and, and sometimes they'll give you a call when they were called to preach and when they were called to missions and things of that nature. And, and maybe you're saying, man, what, what is that? What does that mean? Did they get a telephone call? Uh, did the Lord call them one night on the telephone and say, hey, listen, I've got a job for you. Uh, what is a calling? And I thought, well, let's look at that just briefly and see what is a calling. The Bible says here in Ephesians chapter number 4, in verse number 1, again, the Apostle Paul is writing, but look at what he says here. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. He goes on, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But I want to look there at the first four verses as he covers that. And he says there in the first part, in verse 1, he says uh, that he beseeches you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, vocation simply means, uh, it, it means this, among divines, a calling by the will of God. Bestowment of God's distinguishing grace upon a person or nation. Now, the nation of Israel was a called out nation. God had called Abraham and separated him and said, hey, I want you to get away from your family and I want you to go out. And God had promised Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a land that I will show you. Abraham was called out and separated from the rest uh, for a specific job. As a matter of fact, God made of him the nation of Israel. That's where it came from. And as we think about Christianity today, think about a calling. It's not a magical, mysterious thing. It is something that God specifically places on your heart. It's not a, uh, and sometimes that can be hard to describe. I want to separate the idea of a burden from a calling. Because listen, you can be burdened for a lot of things. You can have a concern and a compassion. Uh, listen, when we, we have the missionaries and they show their different slides and they show their different fields, I'm like, man, I'm going there. Uh, I'm like, those people need the gospel. Uh, New Zealand, man, I'm going there. Honduras, man, I'm going there. Japan, I, I want to go there. Why? Because there's a burden. There is, there is a need all over the world. Um, and, and some people present that need better, maybe more picturesque than other places, but the reality is there is a burden. There ought to be a burden for everyone, and there ought to be a concern for the lost people that are all around the world, and I would describe that as a burden, but it's not necessarily a calling. A calling is something that I would define as God weighing on your heart when you know that God wants you to do that thing. Many people, many times, you're like, God, I don't want to do that. Like Jonah. God, Jonah knew that God wanted him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, man, Nineveh? Are you crazy? Those people are our enemies. They don't like us, and we don't like them. 
And he went the other direction. It was a specific job that God had for Jonah to do. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And so a calling is merely uh, that God would place a, uh, a call, if you will, something, uh, it's more than a burden, it is a definite will of God in your life that says, hey, this is what I want you to do. And you say, well, how do you determine that will of God? Well, most people, when they start asking, you know. I remember asking, I was, I was uh, flying with our, our missionary when we were down in Peru. I was, a, I was out of high school. I had graduated from high school, and I climbed on an airplane, and, and I flew to Peru, South America, and I was down there for the entire summer before I went to Bible college. And, and while I was there, I was with the missionary, and we were flying somewhere, and, and I started asking him, I said, well, how do you know the will of, the, will of God for your life? And said, well, you, you know, you start praying about it and, and, uh, and usually God will reveal it. And usually by nature of the fact that you're asking means that God is starting to lead you in a direction. One of the uh, ideas that, that I heard presented so well, my, my wife's pastor, he said this. He said, uh, the will of God is determined by three things. One is um, opportunity. If the door is closed then there's probably no opportunity for you to go there uh, if you're trying to determine the will of God. The second thing is the Word of God. Does God's Word prohibit whatever you're, you're, you're looking at doing? And, uh, and we're talking specifically about a calling, so, uh, so listen, if God's Word doesn't prohibit you, uh, then, hey, that would be a good thing. And that will keep you in the clear that, hey, you're not going to go off and do something crazy that goes against the Word of God and call it the will of God because it's not. So the Word of God guides us. And then uh, the, op the opportunity, but then thirdly, is the peace of God. I've heard it said uh, amongst preachers, they said, man, if you can do anything else, go do that. I, I can tell you this, I wouldn't be happy doing anything else. Or I might could try it. I might could do it. I might could get away with doing a lot of things. There's not, I mean, I could work and I could make a money and I could make a living at it. But I can tell you this, there would be no contentment and no peace in my life. Why? Because God has called me to the ministry. And I know that. And I have no doubt about that. And I know that that's where I'm at. And so Paul here is saying that he was called to be an apostle. Uh, and then he goes down in verse number 4 uh, in Ephesians, back in Ephesians, he says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. And, uh, and it's a calling into the ministry. Not everyone is not called into the ministry to be a preacher. If everyone was called to be a preacher, there, these pews would be empty. And, and as a preacher, we'd all be out of jobs because... Somebody has to be sitting in the pew. And there's nothing wrong with being a faithful church member. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. That's a good thing and a positive thing. But there is a specific call. Turn with me to one more passage, and, uh, and we'll look at this Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah 6. And here is a very clear calling in the Word of God to help us illustrate and just understand this. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 6, We're talking about the call of Paul and the fact that he surrendered to God's, Paul, uh, God's calling on his life to be a, 
a missionary and a preacher. Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, in the, king that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now Isaiah is having a, a vision and he's, and he's seeing, maybe not a vision, this may be real, I don't know uh, if it was actual there or a vision that he was seeing, but this I do know that he saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. He saw the high and holiness of Almighty God. Go on down in verse number 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Uh, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am a man, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one thing is, after you see God, and after you have a clear understanding of who God is and the, 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 the holiness of Almighty God, nobody in their right mind is going to recognize the holiness of God and then look at themselves and say, well, I'm a pretty good fella. No. When you see who God is, you will always see yourself as an undone, wicked, wretched sinner. That's, that's the only way you can see yourself after looking at God. And he goes on in, in verse, uh, verse number 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. I love this passage in this portion of Scripture, and we won't spend uh, the, the entire night looking at it, but I want you to understand this, that, uh, that listen, there is a definite calling, and God was calling, and He was saying, hey, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And there was a place to fill, and listen, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And he surrendered to God's, what God wanted him to do. I remember when I was 13 years old and I was, uh, I was struggling with uh, surrendering to ministry. At 13 years old, I was called to preach. I have no doubt about that. I had no doubt about that afterwards. But I remember thinking about it and thinking, God, I don't even know how you can use me. I'm a shy, backward boy. And you put me in front of a few people and ask me my name, and I kid you not, I would forget my name because, man, people were looking at me that I didn't know. And I, I remember thinking, God, I don't know how you'll ever be able to use me. But, God, if, if, if you want, I will do whatever you want me to do. I'm surrendered. I, I will preach. I will uh, I'll be a missionary. I will pastor a church, I'll be an evangelist. God, whatever you want me to do, and you have to come to a place of surrender in your life. I remember my dad was in the Air Force, and I always loved airplanes. Matter of fact, growing up, one of the things I loved to do was, uh, was I always loved to go out to the runway 
uh, not on the runway, but close to the runway, where you could overlook the runway and watch them, uh, watch them, them, them Air Force airplanes come in, and sometimes they would practice touch and goes, and so they'd come in and they'd touch down and they'd continue and take right off. Just impressive. I loved airplanes, and, and one of the things I just enjoyed, uh, all those different airplanes, I thought, man, one of the things I want to do is I want to be a pilot in my life. And the Lord never, never gave me opportunity. And I remember at 13 thinking, God, if I don't ever get to fly airplanes, that's okay. I will do whatever you want me to do. Part of that surrender of Paul's life, part of that surrender is say, said, letting go of your goals and letting go of your life and saying, God, all bets are off the table. I am 100% yours. I'll not do what I want to do. Probably one of the greatest temptations in my life was, I think we were, I might have been 15 or 16, I don't recall now, and my dad met a fella who uh, was in the Air Force, and, uh, and he offered to teach me to fly, and, and he said, all you got to do is pay for the gasoline. And if you understand how much that costs, uh, man, it was a great opportunity. And I said, no, I can't do it. Because I, I thought if I start flying, I probably will never stop. And I'd rather be preaching than piloting. Because I know that's what God has for me. There's a calling in my life. There's something that says, hey, I want to serve the Lord. It's more than just I want to, but I know I'm where the Lord would have me to be. And it is a calling. And the Apostle Paul, I'm sure in his life, he had to let go. You remember the Apostle Paul, as he was persecuting Christians, he was a Jew of the top highest degree. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But you know what? He let it all go. And he said, those things uh, that I counted gain for me, I counted loss for Christ. He said, I'm going to forget it all and I'm going to follow God. And it was an absolute surrender in the Apostle Paul's life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he had a calling. Listen, the, God is still calling people. Uh, Pastor and I were, were talking, and occasionally we talk about different churches in Ohio that are, are without pastors. And I tell you what, it breaks my heart. And, and I call different Bible colleges, and, and I'm talking to them about men. And, 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 and as, as uh, I'm talking to them, there is such a shortage of preachers. Why is that? Is God not calling? Oh, no, God's calling. Man's not responding. They're not surrendering. We've become a selfish people who want to do what we want to do and we want to live for flesh and we want to live for uh, finances and we want to live for, uh, to do what we want to do and we're not surrendered to God. That's kind of true across the boards in Christianity, present company accepted, of course, uh, but man, so many people want to live for themselves. Paul was surrendered, and he was called to be an apostle. Not only that, but he says there in verse number one, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ. While the call to serve God is a high and a holy calling, in reality, it is a calling to be a servant. Paul realizes that. Listen, uh, for sometimes preachers become very well-known and and we, we quote some of them, matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon and Billy Sunday and some of the great preachers of the past who have preached and, and have drawn uh, large crowds and, and they, they've saw great success, if I could say it that way, in their ministry. And listen, for, 
For every famous preacher there is, there are hundreds that are unknown practically on this earth. That doesn't mean they're any, any less good, if I can say it that way. Uh, they still have a high and a holy calling. They have still surrendered and done and have done what have have done. I don't think that's proper English. Uh, what God wanted them to do, uh, and they are serving the Lord. Uh, but listen, God has not called us to a position of prestige and prominence and, and, and riches and all of that. God has called us to a servanthood. And the Apostle Paul recognized that as he went from place to place and as he ministered in Corinth and as he ministered in Galatia and as he ministered in Thessalonica and as he wrote and cared for the churches that were there in Rome, he counted himself not a, not a, uh, a boss to all of those places and all of those churches, but rather a servant to God, trying to aid and help every place that he could. That was the Apostle Paul's heart. Man, what an example of humility that would do us good to take just a smidgen of Paul's humility and consider ourselves servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Did not Jesus Christ himself, the greatest uh, of all time, God in the flesh? He didn't dwell in a mansion. He didn't have riches. The Bible, see, he told, he told his disciples, he said, I have not a place wherewith to lay my head. He said, I don't even, uh, I don't have a home. And he lived homeless and, and he lived on this earth exemplifying servanthood to mankind. And Paul says, a servant. He claims himself surrendered to the apostleship. Uh, to the calling of God and, and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then look there, the last thing he says, he says, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul said, listen, I have separated myself. Now we know, we remember looking back, Paul was a tent maker. And Paul tried to help to make tents, and he did that. And you remember in the book of Corinthians that he, he did that to sustain himself and to make a living. And, and listen, but, but he, he did not do that full time. He did that to help finance his ministry. And he did that so that he could stay afloat and so that he could eat and so that he could live. But listen, he had separated himself completely so that he could preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll not find an apostle. You'll not find a disciple more dedicated, more separated than the Apostle Paul himself. Went from place to place to place preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, that's good. Paul was surrendered. He was a servant. He was separated. That's wonderful. Listen, if we could just take a smidgen of those qualities of the life of Paul and apply them to our life. You don't have to be a preacher to be surrendered to God. You ought to be surrendered. Every Christian ought to be surrendered to God. Every Christian ought to take servanthood in Christianity uh, to, the, to the level that, hey, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be our mindset, that everything that we do, whether we're sweeping floors, running a sound booth, driving a bus, teaching a class, working in the nursery, emptying the trash, cooking, cleaning, whatever we do, that we're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ as a servant. Paul did that. He was a servant. And then separated, wow, if Christians would separate themselves today from the world, 
that'd be a big step. This world is, I was talking to somebody this week. I said, this world is so messed up. It really is. We live in, in it didn't used to be this way. You who are uh, older, you know that to be true. I was talking with somebody this morning, and, and he said, I'm not that old. But listen, on Sunday, it used to be everything was closed. And now, you see, uh, FedEx trucks and, and the UPS, or the, the post, service, post office out uh, delivering stuff on Sundays. That, that, never, that was like unheard of just a few years ago. I'm just saying our, our world has gotten so far removed from Christianity, so far removed from anything that is remotely Christian or God-oriented to the fact that they rebel against everything that God has ordained in His Word. Listen, we need to separate ourselves from the world. Be separated for the cause of Christ. What an example as we look at the author of who Paul was. We see the audience of who Paul was writing. We see the author of who Paul was. What an incredible example to us in the life of Paul. I want you to see the authority with which Paul uh, ministered. In, in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 2, all the way down through verse 6, he gives us the authority by which he ministers. And he spends a lot of time here. He says in verse number 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets. Let's go back and read verse 1 again. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. The gospel, which is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 2, as a parenthetical statement, says, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's talking about Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross that had been prophesied of old. Verse number 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made the seed, made of the seed of David according to to the flesh. And I want you to notice what he says here in verses 2 and 3 that it is the promise or prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ was the authority by which Paul ministered. And he, he goes on and he says, Listen, this is not a new thing. This is something that has been foretold from way gone back all the way to the, uh, to, to the seed of David. And that's what he says there in verse number 3 uh, of our Lord Jesus or, or his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. We don't have time to turn there, but uh, for sake of, but, but you can just mark it down. In 2 Samuel chapter number 7, verses 12 through 17, uh, David was promised, or God had making, was making a promise that, hey, the Messiah would come through the seed of David and that his throne uh, would be for all forever, the Bible says. So we find that there was a prophecy. And what's so important about that? Listen, what the Apostle Paul is saying is because he's writing to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and Jews would have known the history, he's saying, listen, this is not a new thing. This comes all the way from the Old Testament. This is what God was planning from the beginning of time, from Genesis 3.15, when he prophesied that the, 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 uh, the, the, the seed would come, and, and all the way down through the Davidic line. And that's why when you get to Luke chapter number 2, and you read through the... Uh, uh, the, all those names that you can't pronounce. 
That's the lineage of Jesus Christ. And the book of Matthew has the same thing. Why? It's for the Jewish mind that says, what is this new thing? We're not going to accept new things. No, it's not a new thing. It's rooted all the way back in the Old Testament. And Paul is alluding to that fact that, hey, this is not a new religion, but something that God had planned and purposed and prophesied and promised would take place. And so it's not anything new. And so he's saying that. And so he's saying, listen, uh, this is something that has come from old. I want you to notice in verse number four, he says, and declared to be the Son of God with power. Man, there, not only is it promised from afore, but it's powered by the Holy Spirit and through the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at the life of Jesus Christ, and the Jews, you'll know, you remember, uh, the Bible says that the Jews required a sign. Listen, there were more signs given in the life of Jesus Christ. More miracles were done. People were raised from the dead. Uh, the blind were given sight. The deaf were made to hear. The lame were made to walk. All of that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And it was all, uh, it was all shown through the life of Jesus Christ. And he's showing that, hey, this is the power of God that is working through the life of Jesus Christ. And it is the power that Jesus had. Not only the power in the miracles, but the power in his preaching. You remember, uh, as Jesus taught, uh, they were amazed. The, the Pharisees were astonished at him uh, because he taught them as one having authority. Listen, there's something authoritative about getting your message from God. There's something authoritative that Jesus could, could, uh, could clearly uh, speak the word of God and say, hey, this is from God. You know, as children, did you ever do this to your brothers or your siblings? You say, mom told us, mom told, mom told you that you have to share that candy with me. You try that, or dad told, dad said that you have to share that. Why do they do that? Because there's something authoritative coming from up high. And then, of course, the brother goes to verify and finds out, oh, that was a big lie, and you don't get any candy. All you get is grief after that. But there's something authoritative that comes when it comes from up above. Listen, Paul is saying that, that this was empowered by God himself through the miracles, through the preaching, not only that, but the power in, in Jesus Christ's perfect life and testimony. You know, when somebody has a righteous testimony and when somebody lives a righteous life, it is a powerful speech to those around them. Matter of fact, that's one of the things that bothered the, the Pharisees and, uh, and that crowd so much because Jesus was really untouchable. They couldn't, they couldn't place a finger on him. Every time they tried to entrap him, uh, the, he, he answered their question and, and left them speechless. And there was nothing that they could do to accuse the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in the end, what they ended up doing was hiring false witnesses to witness against the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he had an untouchable testimony. He was sinless. He was perfect. That's a powerful testimony. Having a righteous testimony, it was powerful. And then power in his resurrection that we celebrated last week. The fact that Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead and that he lives evermore and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of, uh, of heaven is the fact that, hey, that is a powerful message. I want you to notice in verse number four, 
He says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Let me tell you something, lest you think, wow, that is exclusive. That's why Paul was such a, a phenomenal uh, apostle. That's why he was a wonderful disciple. Listen, you can have that, that power of God in your life today. Why? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, as Jesus was telling his disciples, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Listen, that the, the Holy Spirit that came down on those disciples and, and listen, worked through them to minister, that's the same Holy Spirit that you and I have. There's no difference. God doesn't work the same. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to go out and raise people from the dead and, and, and heal the blind and things of that nature. But I'm telling you this, we do have access to the same power of the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel message. Matter of fact, Paul goes on in Romans 1.16 and he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We have access to the power that is in the message that comes from the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is establishing the fact that, hey, this is not just a message, Paul is saying, that I made up. This is not just a message that was solely given to me and I'm the sole uh, ambassador of this message. This is a message that was given to the world and all of us have the responsibility and the ability to proclaim the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that it was promised. We find that it was powered. And then I want you to notice that it was personal in verses 5 and 6. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, you're called too. Now, you're not called maybe to be a preacher. Now, maybe you are. Maybe you should surrender. Now, if you're a woman, I can tell you you're probably not called to be a preacher. Sorry. But he says, he says in verse 6, he says, ye are called also. Now what's he talking about? Listen, every Christian, it is a personal call. Every Christian is called to proclaim the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just that, but look in verse number 7, as he gets into the audience, he says this, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, look at what he says, Called to be saints. It's a personal call. And it's every believer that we're called to be saints. Now, what is a saint? We think of a saint as uh, um, uh, those angels, you know, that, that, hey, when I get my wings, I'll be a saint. Uh, listen, a, a saint simply means this. A person sanctified. A holy or godly person one eminent for, for piety and virtue and any true Christian as being redeemed and consecrated to God. We're appointed to be holy. And he says here in verse number 6, Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Listen, that comes from the authority of God. That's not Shane Rice saying that you're called. That's God saying that you're called. 
And God's saying that we're to be saintly. God's saying that we're to be separated. God's saying that we ought to be holy and that we ought to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to carry the message to the lost and dying world. That's the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he clearly lays out that, listen, this is not his message, but it comes from God. And, and listen, it applies to every person's life. So we can see the audience that it's to all that be in Rome. We can see the author that it's the Apostle Paul, that he was a, a, a surrendered, a servant, and a separated Christian. And we can see the authority that it was promised, that it was powered by the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. And then we can see that it's a personal authority that God would have each and every one of us to live a holy life. There's verses we could look at in the New Testament that are, are, are clearly written down. But listen, the bottom line is God wants you to live a right life. Listen, sin messes. We, we talk about it. Sin will mess you up. It just will. It'll, roar, it'll ruin your life. And I know that our flesh naturally has a desire and a draw to that. And that's why we talk about it time and time again. Why? Because the Word of God will help us to, uh, to not follow the path of our flesh, but to follow the path of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. That's why we think it's so important to read the Bible. It's not, uh, it's not magic, but you know what? Taking time to focus on God every single day in your life will help you overcome the wickedness and weakness of our flesh. Because we all have a flesh. If you didn't have a flesh this evening, you wouldn't be here. I can see your flesh. It's right there. But you know what? Our flesh is wicked. and We have to be careful of it. That's why we need to stay in the Word of God. That's why we need to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and be mindful of Him every day in our life so that we can maintain a walk and be a saint because he's called us to be sanctified. That would be set apart, separated for his service. And so Paul just gives us those three things just by way of introduction. The audience, the author, the apostle Paul, what a tremendous example. And then the authority, uh, the, the Jesus Christ and, and his promise and the, uh, that he would come. It's not anything new and the power of the Holy Spirit and and then the, the personal calling, listen, all of us have that. That we should be separated Christians. And so I hope that's just a help and a blessing to you this evening as we, hook, as we go through the book of Romans. Uh, let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We'll just have a short hymn of invitation. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the life of Paul. What a phenomenal example to us. God, that he was surrendered. God, maybe we need to be surrendered to you. Maybe you're calling somebody to preach. Maybe we just need to let go of ourselves and to follow you no matter what it is. Maybe it's that we need to be separated from the world. God, I pray that you would help each and every person. Help us to see the calling to be holy. Maybe we're not called to preach, but, may, but all of us are called to be holy, to be Christians that are separated from the world. God, I pray that you'd help us to walk with you in our daily life. and Help us to have you as our authority in our life. And that we'd be surrendered to you. 
and follow you. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. separated are you holy say preacher holy sounds like such a a strong word listen it's God's word it's not my word we're called to be separated have a testimony before the lost and dying world the altar's open to a close and uh, I could only get bits and pieces that I know